Hello and welcome to Recovery Internet Radio brought to you live and direct from Straight Stuff Studios. Uh, you know what? I'm already fibbing because we are recording a little early this weekend, so uh, no call-in number this weekend because we won't be here Sunday night. So, so sorry. Hope you enjoy the show anyway. Anywho, this is episode, uh, I'm going to go with 70 now. We're bumping it up into the 70s in, okay. in our second our second glorious year of broadcasting. So thank you for uh, thank you for staying with us this time. If you're a new listener, uh, I think you'll enjoy the show. We bring a, a quality message of hope and recovery. Uh, we've got some quick announcements before we get started. Let's see. Uh, we've got some friends of the show we'd like to give a shout out to. Uh, who do we got? Uh, what, who do we got? Who do we got oh, on the list? Double take. Week, you want to do double take? Double take. Double take band. Uh, they do awesome covers. Uh, you know from. From what? From from the fifties, fifties to till today, I guess. To today, yeah. yeah, but they always have a fun show. They play a lot of local venues. I think they're going to be in Carroll Stream uh, middle of next month. So check out their check out their website. I think it's Double Take Band Chicago. Double Take Chicago. Double Take Chicago. Okay. Yeah. So check them out. They're they're a lot of fun to go see live. Yeah. Um, what else we got? Dirty Laundry Designs. All right. Fresh cards for recovery. Did I did I get their tag right? For addiction and recovery. Oh, for addiction and recovery. Yeah. Awesome. So you know, you just missed Father's Day. You know, your dad's sad. You know, maybe go get him a card. You know, you're a little late, but you know. <laughs> What's the next holiday? You got some making up to do. Ah. Let's see, we've blown uh, by yeah, Easter. I don't. Yeah, I, summer's kind of dry. Yeah, yeah, you know. We're a little short on holidays. Uh-huh. Fourth of July. Fourth of July. Fourth of July. Fourth of July. Fourth of July card. You know the good thing about uh, <laughs> cards for uh, for recovery. You know, there's usually someone with an anniversary. Um, you know, coming up around the corner if you know enough people. So sort of especially right out. after holidays. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this might be a good time to look for those cards. July fifth cards. Yeah. So you decided to get sober. Anyway, uh, so that is uh, DirtyLaundryDesigns.com. Check them out. They've got some really interesting artwork and some really cool, unique products. Yeah, we can find anywhere else. I, I keep some in my office. Get yeah. Them. If you're interested, get a hold of Rick. He's he's uh, got his fingers in a lot of pies, so he'll probably he'll, he'll get you what you're looking for. We've got Johnny D rings that we could talk to you about too, made out of made out of European coins. You know, I got to tell you, you know, this is radio, so obviously you can't see you can't see what we're holding up here, but these are really cool. So, John, thanks for thanks for doing that. And uh, really, if anybody's interested, get get a hold of us through the website at recoveryinternetradio.com, and we'll set you out there. Um, really unique, handmade, one of a kind um, rings made out of, of coinage. Yeah. So you know, from British half crowns and two pence and silver dollars, quarters, what have you. They're, they're yeah. really cool looking stuff. Uh, oh, you know what? Just one more quick note. We also support uh, Sidekicks Mentoring, which is a local uh, youth mentoring project. Which is, you know, it's no cost to people that are using it. It's a completely volunteer program designed to offer uh, structure and support for maintaining a healthy and sober lifestyle. You know, this is for like kids that maybe maybe aren't making the cut for Big Brother Big Sister. Yeah. But you know, still need uh, you know some a positive role model in their life, and uh, we've got some really professional, um, you know, knowledgeable people that that are eager to give back and uh, make great mentors and uh, provide that influence. So. Check us out uh, at sidekicksmentoring.org. That's O-R-G. 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 Yep. That's all I got. Rick? That will be, that'll do it. That'll do. And you can get to us at recoveryinternetradio.com. Recoveryinternetradio.com. And that's, uh, we've got 
you know, a link to this week's show this Sunday. If you're if you're used to checking in every Sunday, that's awesome. Uh, all the past archived shows, all 70 of them, give or take. <laughs> you can also subscribe to our uh, our mailing list and get our show reminder every week, which uh, which Mr. Atwater puts a lot of work into. So check those out. And you can uh, if you want to do it the easy easy way. You know, if you've got one of those fancy eye devices, uh, pod, pad, phone, whatever, uh, you can subscribe to our podcast via iTunes and just get an automatic update once a week and listen to the newest episode while you're on the go at the gym in the car. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Radio over there. Hey, yeah. Wow. Wow. Sunday. Hey, all right. Well, that's all. <laughs> Let's get to the show. I'll introduce our host, Rick Atwater. Take it away. All Take it right. Away. Thank you, Chris, for that. And uh, thank you guys for, uh, thank, thank you to our listeners for joining us where we are every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Um, you can, I think you forgot to mention that we can be tweeted. Oh, yeah, I did uh, forget. We can be tweeted at Rick Atwater. Easy to remember. Easy to remember. And our uh, Facebook page is new, actually. <laughs> our Facebook page is... Uh, just you know, we can find us at Recovery Internet Radio on Facebook. So, okay, I think we got everything covered. And that's um, that's good. Got all the housework, house cleaning stuff out of the way. Got all the promotional material. So anyway, let's um, you know, let me uh, just introduce the show. the The name of the show is Crossroads: Addiction and Mental Illness, and um, our guests are Shane and Chris. And um, like we always try to do, um, both both of these guys, and thanks for coming and being willing to share your stuff tonight. No problem. Yeah, um, glad to have you here. Uh, you know, what we try and do is share the, uh, the hope side of the stories. And so we're talking to people who've, been through the hard times and the difficulties and all the things associated with the topic and have found a way to deal with those things. And so we want to try to get, you know, get to both things, mm-hmm. you know. So let me start by asking you this. Um, does your does your uh, mental illness story uh, and your addiction story intertwine? And and if so, uh, you know, I guess this is a two-part question, so let me finish this. So if it does intertwine, how does it intertwine? And in your in your thoughts, which thing came first, or was was it all a, a one big blast of stuff? Um, I think they definitely intertwine. And okay. I mean, when I was younger, I mean, the mental illness part came first, I think, because I... I, when I was 12 years old, I started uh, <clears throat> cutting my arms, mm-hmm. and that was that was six years before I had even taken a drink of alcohol. Okay. And that I mean that became a problem when I was a kid. I had some depression problems and mm-hmm. some anxiety problems. Um, but I think uh, you know when I look back on that today, I kind of look at that as untreated alcoholism. I had I had uh, opportunities to take drugs and to and to drink and stuff when I was a kid, and the only reason I didn't was because I was scared of what would happen to me at home as far as getting into trouble. Mm-hmm. But I felt like I could relieve pressure by cutting my arm. 
Did you come from an alcoholic family? As far as I know, no. But my stepdad, who I lived with, uh, I later found out was an alcoholic who uh, didn't drink. He drank O'Doul's, non-alcoholic <laughs> beer, all the time. And uh, he didn't go to meetings or anything like that. And he was terrifying. Uh, I was terrified of him. Oh, okay. So, in so way, I guess at the very least, you lived with the terror. Yeah, I was. I was a I was scared to be home a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. And then when, you know, I think there's probably a lot of people who would not understand the uh, the cutting, the the uh, you know, they just wouldn't understand what is what is what would you say that that's about? You know, you say you started cutting when you were twelve. I think twelve. I was in seventh grade. I think I was yeah. twelve. To me, it always made sense because it was like uh, it felt like. I would those negative feelings and emotions would become so overbearing and overwhelming, and for some reason, uh, in my head, cutting and seeing blood come out and all that was like relieving all that pressure. And mm. even for yeah. just that that second where you have the pain or whatever, it's like it numbs everything else. And so it's all like it's almost all focused there. Exactly. Yeah. It was. It did, was you, way you, did you did you cut too? I did. I did. Um, and it was similar for me. Yeah. I felt like just the pressure would build up so much that I was tearing out of my skin. Um, yeah. But cutting, at least during my teen years, relieved a lot of that pressure and brought me back. I think most people that think that that's like a, uh, that more girls do that than guys. But I don't know that that's, maybe that's just not true. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, I, I've heard the same thing that um, it's, uh, but... I mean, I, I know plenty of guys in in, in inpatient and outpatient. Oh, yeah. There's plenty of, of guys that had self harm issues. Yeah, I, I have known plenty too. Yeah. So you know, I don't know that maybe that's a maybe that's one of those yeah. myth things that. Yeah, and I know today, at least looking back, for me, the self harm was part a symptom of a greater issue, as opposed to a separate issue on its own. What was we'll say something about that. What would what would you say the issue? I mean, you said yours was fear, anxiety, and depression related stuff, mm -hmm. and understandably so if you're living with somebody that terrorizes you, felt terror. Yeah. So what what was how? Would you uh, um, for for me, uh, the, the fear. Um, it, it's actually the same thing, where it was it was a fear based issue and my inability to to. Um, uh, accept life on life's terms, and and I never quite felt right. Um, my mental illness definitely came before my alcoholism. Mm -hmm. Like I was treated for clinical depression as early as age seven. Mm. Um, but um, you know, especially getting into adolescence and stuff, my reaction to life was definitely abnormal. Um, so for me. Um, it, it would end up being that a lot of my self-harm issues were me attempting to keep going in spite of, you know, clinical depression or right. me to keep going um, and stay functional in spite of, um, you know, what would later become mania, but that wasn't until later on in my life. Um, so the cutting is like a mechanism to help you. It kind of has a similar feel to alcohol in a way yeah I mean, you do it to help <clears throat> and it harms you yeah and that but what, you get a short-term bump right it, it's very similar to 
to drinking or using drugs in a way because it is all about an instant relief from. I never really, yeah, I just, I, it just occurred to me as you guys were talking that that's got this, I never thought of that that way, but. And that, that just happened to be what I discovered first. If yeah, I had, if I had drank instead and and realized, oh, I can numb this stuff this way, that's probably what probably would have, probably would have taken yeah, I would have started right. doing it. Do you think 12. you would have too, or it wouldn't have mattered? I mean, I'm sorry. Sure. Would you think you would have? You think the same thing if if alcohol and drugs would have come along before um, that mechanism? For me, they were concurrent. Oh, so, okay. um, like the alcohol and and actually drugs, um, I were my first. Addiction, just because they were available at the time, yeah. far easier than alcohol was. Yeah. Um. So it was the pattern of abuse that happened. So they happened concurrently, where I would use drugs, I would drink alcohol, but I would also be cutting myself. So it was all, all one. In, in your case, pretty much all one thing. Yeah. What's so you use the term untreated alcoholism? I I have a sense of what that means, but like. Our listening audience might not. What what would you? How would you describe what that is? Um, well, like today, you know, I I do things to to cope to to treat my alcoholism. I go to meetings. I'm a sponsor. I have, you know, a higher power. I have all this stuff that I use to cope with just life in general. <clears throat> and uh, I I just didn't have anything before. Or at least I didn't feel like I did. I had I felt like I was alone and had to do everything by myself and um, I was incapable of doing that and I already like Shane was saying I this inability to cope with this fear that was always looming over me you know not feeling safe at home and not really feeling very safe or welcome at school mm -hmm. <clears throat> and being fairly young I was just pretty I was there was a lot of fear in me mm -hmm. um, and is the fear is that when you is that a uh, a component of alcoholism for me it is okay I don't want to speak for everybody but I, I right. really feel like for, for me you it is the big, big one is it for you too um, like I fear my component of my alcoholism yeah absolutely in fact it, it's dominant a lot of times anger and fear are two um, two major issues that uh, recovering people have to face and for me fear is far more dominant than anger mm -hmm. as the as uh, as in terms of what my what I react to, yeah, I've I've heard resentment, fear, sexual misconduct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so those would be the big three. Yeah, and so whatever combination of those three things, but I guess what makes the what makes the fear or the anger, you know, fear the resentment or the, even though we're not really talking about sexual misconduct right now, but those of those three, what makes what makes that the what makes that alcoholism? Is it the intensity of it? The well, for me, um, I mean, I, I think that I react to fear more intensely than than people that are going through similar things in their own lives, and and like you always did, and I always did. So that's I was, the, yeah, that's the untreated like starting at the connection, starting a job. I, mean, I was dealing it with it this morning. I have a sixteen-hour shift. Yeah. to do and it I've never done that before yeah. and it took me about an hour this morning to calm myself down yeah. to the point where I could right. start feeling okay right. and it used to be that would happen for months on end yeah. you know and it would be, it would involve throwing up and and shaking and having to use drugs and alcohol to, to quell that. just to get yourself to normal 
whatever they just to get myself to feel as little as possible so that I could go through the day. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. And so that, yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, for me, uh, it was my first alcohol and drugs were my first solution to constantly feeling a part of or, um, or apart from. And I was constantly uncomfortable inside my own skin. Um, I was very prone to despair and not very optimistic. And I always felt um, until, and what I later came to understand is anxiety, um, but I didn't have a word for it at then. Right. And alcohol and drugs and cutting were my first solution to feel, to, to be able to um, work through that fear. Yeah. So you yeah. had some combination, whether it was untreated alcoholism, whether it was mental illness, whether it was a combination of the above. Mm-hmm. In your case, probably a combination of the above. Yeah, it, it was, was your, definitely. Like I definitely. Came out was mm-hmm. the, what in your mind was the solution? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and even from a very from the very beginning, where most most uh, young people, if they party like that, they'll party um, for the sake of having fun. Uh, very quickly, almost immediately, it turned into me um, to function. Mm-hmm. It, it became a functional aid of sorts. And like you're saying, you would t- it would take you all of that going through all of that h- hell preparation stuff that you went through, shaking, puking, mm-hmm. whatever, and then needing to drink or do something to get yourself just to get through the day. Yeah, I, I had a job for a year and. Uh, I was terrified to go to that job every day, yeah. and I eventually got prescribed Xanax to help me with the anxiety because it came to a point where I was throwing up blood in the mornings because I was throwing up so much. Yeah, and uh, it, it took me no time to start abusing my Xanax, and because that that got me to feel so calm and so uh, just quiet everything inside me down. Right. I mean, it was, and I used that with alcohol. You know, yeah. I, I, I started using the Xanax to control the alcohol because I, I feel I figured out that I could drink as much as I wanted the night before and prevent hangovers by taking a bunch of Xanax at night and then wake up and take Xanax before going to work and get through the day just so I can come home and start drinking again. You know. Yeah. So, better living through chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> another better as a solution too though, you know, just just <coughs> another step in the chain. Another another uh, another another one. Yeah. 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 So you can understand, I'm sure, why it's difficult for for people out there to well there's a whole there's a whole group of people and we we we've we've been through this phase and I hopefully we're more on the other side of it now that have the idea that the mental illness causes alcoholism. Yeah. What what, what would you say about that? Um, go ahead. Uh, I would I would say that that alcoholism is a form of mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, that um, it, it's you know it, it's tricky when talking about mental illness um, because it's more appropriate to look at you know. Um, other than specific types, you know, depression, bipolar disorder, anxiety, people tend to look at that and say that's the mental illness, but re- in reality it's more of a spectrum, um, which I believe the medical community is kind of headed towards, is looking at the spectrum, and it's just a specific type of abnormal symptoms. 
Um, so for regardless of what you call it, yeah, irregardless of what you call it, yeah. and, and and it tends to be personalized and tailored to an individual. No two people they may have the same diagnosis, but they have very different symptoms. Right. Um, and for me, you know, it's like a chicken or the egg. That that um, where what came first, my mental illness or alcoholism, is less important than what a solution I'm going to do to confront these issues. Right. Okay. Yeah, um, and similarly, I think they they coexist so well, and I never heard of it on, on the idea of it being on a spectrum, but that makes sense to me because, you know, before I got into AA and, and started dealing with everything that way, I, I you know towards the end of my drinking and everything, I started taking different medications and started getting diagnosed with, you know, depression and dysthymia and. Uh, some kind of compulsive behavior disorder thing for the cutting and mm. they were given everything all these labels and giving me different medications <clears throat> to cope with it and I'm I'm over two years sober now and I don't I don't take any medications for any of that um, and I there's so much in the in our you know, the big book mm -hmm. you know, that talks about you know the, the intense self-pity and self-loathing and the things mm -hmm. that that alcoholics, you know, do, mm -hmm. and really, I mean, you could you could call my you could diagnose me with dysthymia and anxiety and all this, or you can just it's all alcoholism to me, like it's all part of my alcoholism, mm -hmm. and, and that's just what I consider it. But. Okay, yeah, yeah. So the, those were the, those things were mm, the, the uh, diagnosis maybe were were just descriptions of a group of feelings or behaviors, behaviors that you know you you found your solution in in Alcoholics Anonymous for that whole uh, cluster of symptoms where yeah. and where that's not exactly the case for you is it Shane? Uh no. Um, however, uh, my life definitely took a change for better. Um, I was unable to make much, if any, progress on the mental illness front until I confronted the alcoholism. Um, once that happened, uh, I, however, my symptoms of cycling between um, depression and mania um, continued, mm -hmm. and, and still continue at almost three years of sobriety. Mm -hmm. So in my case, um, in order to... Um, prevent the most destructive aspects of, of this, that continuing illness, mm -hmm. I, I do have to take medication. Yeah. Um, and, and it also, um, he referred to the big book, for me, taking that medication is in a sense, um, my, I, I try imperfectly, but my life today is trying to be a maximum use to other people. Mm -hmm. In my case, to be a maximum use to other people, I have to take medications and, and engage in an active treatment with doctors mm -hmm. um, in order to do that. Well, and the thing that you said was you weren't getting you weren't getting anywhere with the mental illness side until you got sober. Um, and yeah. then once you got sober, those symptoms that remained were the ones that you you felt that needed treatment or that the doctors told it that you needed. Yes. That's exactly it. Pharmacological intervention. Mm -hmm. How about that for like a, like a radio oh, kind of regular word word? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, can we say that again? You want to say 
pharmacological intervention. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know what I think, Shane? You made a good point where, where you know, when you talk about there being a spectrum, you know, and what works for you isn't going to work for everybody, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes that there is going to be that, um, that different kind of balance. Yeah. So in my case, um, I. Um, I, I do just label myself. If I need to use a label in conversation, I label myself an alcoholic. But but the, but um, my symptoms, uh, which I don't have control over, I can be doing everything right in my lifestyle, and still be suffer from s- suicidal ideation um, or uh, delusions of grandeur. Um, <laughs> Some 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 more interesting thing, and I still get those. Yeah. Um, now the medication uh, the medication helps keep the most severe symptoms, the symptoms which cause me to be a danger to myself or to others, um, at bay. And since I've entered sobriety, I haven't needed um, medical inf- intervention in the sense of I haven't been an inpatient mm-hmm. or anything like that. Have you guys have you been in, in treatment for the, the the mental illness side of things? Yeah, um, I uh, I went to the uh, Elgin Psych Ward pretty against my will <laughs> um, for for about a week and a half, two weeks or something, and uh, after that I started a intensive outpatient at Family Services, which is now closed, but uh, I, they put me in a dual diagnosis group mm-hmm. uh, for outpatient. Okay. So you had some, and you, and you had hospitalization. I had, um, I had seven or eight. It was about once a year I was hospitalized um, up until sobriety, mm-hmm. and since sobriety, I, I haven't uh, had a hospitalization. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's 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 it. that's an interesting thing how that how that works. So yeah. things got better when when you got into AA. Let me ask you this. Is there, uh, well, you use the term um, dual diagnosis. Is that a term that you are comfortable with for yourself, or is that a good description? What do you think? Well, you know, for me, like I said, I, I feel like it all follow, falls under the umbrella of alcoholism yeah. for me. Yeah. But, um, you know, dual diagnosis, what they meant was people suffering from mental illness and substance abuse problems. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> they were kind of separating it, and to me, I think they're it, they are one, not one in the same, but they go hand. They're in closer hand. together than, than to say you've got two things. There are components, but maybe not uh, separable for you. Right. Yeah, I mean that's just kind of how I see it, and you could say I'm I'm duly diagnosed, but at the same time, I'm not. I'm not on medication for anything. I haven't been to see a doctor or been to the hospital for that kind of thing, and you know, since I've been in recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, so, dual diagnosis really—that's not something that you—that's that, not a term that you—that you're. That's not a term that I use. It's not a term that I'm uncomfortable with. I okay, just—I don't not. use it to describe myself. Or okay, like you that. just use it, alcoholic. Yeah. Okay. Recovering alcohol. Recovering alcohol. Let's not forget that part. Yeah. What about you, Shane? How, did, how does that sit with you, dual diagnosis? And um, I, I don't... It's hard to fight a battle on two fronts. So I just use the term alcoholic. Yeah. Um, and I um, and, and the nice thing is working the steps of a 12-step program. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of... Uh, a lot of... 
what I used to have to do to manage the mental illness condition on a day-to-day -day basis just rolls in by just working the 12 steps um, in my life and the 12 principles, living them in my life. Yeah. It mitigates a lot of the things that I used to have to do just for my mental illness, such as reframing, such as dealing with cognitive distortion, which is all... Um, recognizing thinking errors. And recognizing yeah. thinking errors. Yeah. And all that stuff, which I used to do separate, um, and, and now just th those things happen as a natural expression of the 12 steps. Um, so I don't really use dual diagnosis, um, but again, you know, I'm not uncomfortable with the idea, but I just... Um, I find keeping the enemy, the name doesn't really matter. I think the solution matters, and yeah. I think so. We'll go with recovering alcoholic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> let me let me ask you one more question, and maybe we'll take a short uh, a short breather. Um, and that is, what uh, do you think? There's a stigma associated with the mental illness part of this. What do other, in other words, what do you think other people think, even though it's supposed to be none of your business? <laughs> it, it is um, you know what do you think other people think about that what's their I've, I've certainly discovered that what I I think people think is always pretty wildly inaccurate but, <laughs> um, <laughs> but well, you've uh, got, like, you know, you know, I do I, there is I'm, I'm you got sure a free shot here dude take it there's a stigma <laughs> attached to alcoholism there's this I'm sure there would be you know if I, I would be very uncomfortable with people I work for knowing a lot about my past mm -hmm. or, you know, <laughs> there's definitely, before I got into AA, my idea of what an alcoholic was, was a guy that sits around and beats his wife and <laughs> and stuff, and I'm like, well, I don't have a wife that I beat, so I'm not an alcoholic. <laughs> You're safe on that front. It's just I think it's ignorance. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. The, the mental illness I actually feel like is probably more widely accepted today because, yeah. and probably because I think that a lot of people are taking medications for things they probably don't need to be taking medications mm -hmm. for. But um, we're in a treatment-centered uh, society now. Yeah, we treat things. And so you think the mental illness side is probably more acceptable than? The chemical dependency, the yeah. As far as right. like you know, depression and anxiety stuff like that, you know, if I had schizophrenia, that would be something I would. Yeah, I'm sure I would be, there'd be a much bigger stigma attached to that. But I, I, I think the severity of my anxiety and depression is something that's more uncommon than a lot of people have. But I think a lot of people have at least gone through. Right. If, some, if somebody says, life. you know, do you if, do you have anxiety or do you feel depressed? It's not too hard to say, yeah, sometimes I do, or yeah. to relate to it. Sure. Well, that's relate. pretty, you know, that's pretty mainstream these days, too. I mean, you yeah. can't watch the, the, you know, the, the TV for a couple hours without, you know, well, right. you'll see plenty of commercials. It's not a, yeah. it's pretty well they don't widely have to understood. Know that that you were shaking and puking. Right. <laughs> they yeah. get, maybe yeah. they get the general idea. It, yeah. It took me an hour to get ready to leave the house today because I felt unsafe and un yeah. scared of yeah. what the future of the next you know day. Yeah. Then, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Did this make you nervous coming here? No. This was a comforting thing. I know. Oh, okay, I'm good. Like Rick and Shane, I'm going to have an hour and a half or so before I have to be at my job. And yeah, so this is cool. Here. Yeah. All right, yeah. <laughs> That's good to know. I don't, I don't want to make things worse. <laughs> <laughs> so what about what about you and stigma? What do you think? Um, 
I, I think the stigma lies in the lack of the the lack of ed, education. Um, and I and like I, I do agree with you. Um, alcoholism is often seen as a character based flaw. Um, that it's a flaw of a, a character, not a disease. Right. Which, in so weak, fact, you know, in, no willpower, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah, weak, no willpower, unreliable, flaky. Um, it doesn't help that untreated alcoholism are weak, <laughs> uh, unreliable, <probably>. unreliable <laughs> and flaky. Um, but with mental illness, I, I think it plays, um, for me personally, um, I'm actually, I, I've just started being honest with people in my life and with employers, and I've actually received positive results, um, which I, I'm shocked. Um, but fi uh, finally, after you know, 15 years of being uh, uh, being in the work world, working world, um, I've started just being a little more honest. However, I do think that in personal relationships, um, there's a certain stigma attached. For example, um, if anybody's ever heard like a girlfriend complain about her boyfriend about how he's so bipolar and and yeah. you know and stuff like that, I think that um, a misunderstanding of the disease and instead it's looked as a character-based issue right. when it's in fact a, a disorder-based issue. Yeah, and you know, a little, you know, that brings up something that, that, that I've thought about is that it, it scares me a little bit that, that diagnostic categories are, are in the general vernacular yes. and so they get misused, yeah, like my boyfriend is so bipolar. So it's like, you know, is your boyfriend Bipolar, or does he just sometimes does he does, does that mean he got mad yesterday? Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. You know, or or does that mean you know, or does that mean he's a little moody, mm -hmm. or does that mean, you know, and that that's like so now bipolar has become uh, kind know, of even one the of those catch-all vernacular gets, yeah. gets thrown out there. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm addicted to chocolate. No, 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 you're not a big job. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea what we're talking about here. Um, so it's like, you know, in, in, I guess in one way it makes it, it normalizes it a little bit because everybody can use the word and we can chuckle about it, but the other side of it is it's misunderstood. And it creates so, an, an inaccurate picture when picture. they do encounter the real deal. Exactly. And, and they're like, like <gasps> yeah, or there's a stereotype then it gets sort of mm -hmm. misused somehow, and you know that 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 worries me a little bit because yeah. then it waters down the significant, like you said, the significance of the disease. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's take a, let's take a brief. Uh, let's take a quick breather. Sure. You know what? If we got you got time, you got one, one more quick question, kind yeah. of okay. along right. the same lines. Now we're talking about you know talking a little bit about um, about what the what the stigmas are uh, you know concerning the attitudes that people have in regards to addiction or for mental mental illness or anything like that. But so if you're in a program, um, do you or do you find that people have any issue with the fact that you know so if if I'm going to be hey I'm an alcoholic I'm coming in I want I want help you know but I'm going to take I, I still need to take some mood altering medications. You know, do you find that either from that program that there's any any pushback from people like, well, if you're going to be here, you need to do it the right way and not, you know, you can't be taking drugs while you're here. As or you know, do you ever do you have any issues with that yourself? Well, there's not supposed to be, right? You know, people's opinions 
people, everyone in AA have different opinions about that. The book itself says, though, that AA does not, uh, um, what do they call it? What if you need a doctor, get a doctor. Right, that they're not the only and source of wisdom. Yeah, the they're not the only source right. of wisdom, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I definitely, um, you know, I, I think the type, fortunately science has actually worked for us a little bit. Um, sure. Because based on, and again, I'm not, I'm not a doctor, but based on what I've read and, and, and stuff that's been published, um, one class of mood-altering drugs, uh, benzodiazepines, um, seem to be um, a drug that's to be avoided if you are of an alcoholic temperament mm-hmm. or an addicted temperament. Um, I know it, it's on an individual case-by-case basis, but I, I do I do kind of feel that you know there is some resistance to that. However, if you have a history of you know. Um, Ultimately, your program's your your own. Um, you do it by taking direction from others, largely right. for the first year or two. But uh, you know, if there's if it's a clear cut case of mental illness, um, you'd only be making things worse. Now, if it sure. were something, you know, um, there are other things that there, it depends on the type. I think you yeah. were talking about the the. I think you did you use the word continuum or. Spectrum. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think there's the same kind of thing, at least in my experience from the clinical side, is there's the same kind of thing that exists with people that are sober and using medication or drugs. There's some that abuse it and use things like benzos or, or, or you know, opiate-based painkillers yeah. and things like that in the wrong way. But those are probably in the minority. But the thing is, it's touchy territory because they may have come into the program with abuse of that type of drug yeah. in the first yeah. place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so then any drug becomes an issue because it's a trigger for the use mm-hmm. of the drug that they that brought them there in the first place. Yeah. So it's, you know, I think there is a lot of pushback in the program, yeah. from what I hear, towards any kind of drug use. And then each person, like you said, has to kind of work their way through to what what works with them yeah. with the help of the people around them that they yeah. trust. And, and actually, in my case, in the first year, I was kind of hoping that my mental illness issues, when I first came in the program, um, I had hoped that my mental illness issues would sort themselves out, like I saw it happening with a lot of other individuals in the program. Right. Um, so there was actually a period of time, now that I'm thinking about it, where I, 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 I went off medication. Um, to see if the difference had been made and if I was able to functionally sustain my lifestyle. Now, I'm not advocating people going off medication by any stretch of the means, but I, I, I did find, you know, I did go off. I, I tried to do it without mood-altering substances, and I found that, you know, um, I needed prescribed Yeah medication mm-hmm. that that I'm taking as prescribed. But you had to fit, you had to find your way through that and yeah. I think that's an interesting point all the way around and you know I think that yeah you know, that there is a spectrum and it's going to be different for each individual and I think like I, what made me think of it a, a little bit ago is you know if you're taking Xanax to not have a hangover the next morning then maybe that's not something you should continue taking <laughs> no, if you're in a program. Yeah. Um, yeah. I actually yeah. prior to um, my recovery I was on Xanax. 
and I um, stopped taking Xanax and I asked for an alternative from my doctor, which are our alternatives. Yeah. Um, because Xanax seemed to um, yeah. agitate my alcoholism. Yeah. Sure. I think that's a really good point too for those people out there that maybe have questions about that. You can you can ask your ask your healthcare provider for something different if you've had issues in the mm-hmm. past. Like, look, I, this isn't going to yeah. work for me. The, when I started recovery, you know, I, there, for two months before I got sober, I was I was not allowed to take Xanax anymore. You know, when they put me in the psych ward, they wouldn't give me Xanax there either. Mm-hmm. Uh, I asked for it. Um, they gave me one Ativan. It pissed me off. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't prescribe me. <laughs> and afterwards, in outpatient, they wouldn't prescribe me anything like that. They would prescribe me antidepressants, um, mm-hmm. and they did, but they wouldn't give me any kind of benzo. Um, I'm glad um, because I would have abused it, um, and it would have interfered with my recovery. And it wouldn't have been recovery. I guess I would have been I would have been eating it like candy. Um, but I I was still taking antidepressants for eight months into sobriety, and then I decided I wanted to be done with this too. And mm-hmm. it took 30 days for the withdrawals to stop, but I I finally got over it, and I started mm-hmm. seeing that just by like working the steps and living in the community of people that are supportive and mm-hmm. have similar things going on, that it, it was enough to help me overcome that kind of stuff on a daily basis. Okay. Well, that was a good question. Yeah. I, yeah, sorry, I think I stretched us a little over over half there. But, yeah, I think that was, that was some good answers, guys. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, that's fine. It. Yeah. And let's, take, yeah, let's, take, let's take a couple minutes and, you know, take a breather and uh, do whatever we do here, and then we'll come back. Huh? There you are. Uh, enjoy the music. Uh, we'll be right back with you.
always find us at recoveryinternetradio.com, Recovery Internet Radio uh, on Facebook, or at Rick Atwater on Twitter, uh, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, so I hope you're enjoying the show, and uh, let's get right back to it. I'll, I'll pass it over to Rick, and we'll, we'll get the ball rolling here again. Okay, thank you. Absolutely. All right, so um, I kind of want to switch gears a little bit now and, and you know talk a little bit more about the recovery end of things. And uh, and so maybe let, let me start by asking you what what actually moved you into recovery mode? What what were there a series of events or an event or like describe what actually made you you know bump you into the recovery arena? Uh, <clears throat> there was a time before I got sober. There were, there were probably about five months, five or six months before that, where I started really coming <clears throat> to my, I guess, my wit's end, and I didn't know. I, I was I was sure I was going to die one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were there was a time when I was afraid I was about to kill myself one night, and I I found an AA meeting, really not having any idea what that meant, other than I can go here and. It's a captive audience that I can spill my gut to, and that was my <laughs> yeah. that, that was my whole point in going that one sure. time, and mm-hmm. and that was my first exposure to AA, and I continued drinking for several months, but um, you know, being forced to go to AA meetings in the psych ward, and then in IOP trying to be con- they're mm-hmm. sitting there convincing me to go to AA, and that after relapsing in IOP three times, and and really seeing, I cause I thought that I could. Stay sober in IOP. I'm like, well, they want me to not drink. That's fucking fine. I'm sorry. Fair <laughs> exactly. game. Not drink, and I'll learn how to yeah. control this here. And yeah. Fine. Fine. And I won't drink. Right. And yeah. then after four weeks, um, starting to see how I really didn't have control over my drinking, no matter how hard I tried to not do it. That's when I just kind of got beat to this point where I knew I couldn't go back to what I was doing. I didn't know what to do next other than just take this suggestion of going to an AA meeting here in Crystal Lake and that's it's funny that Shane's here doing this with me because Shane was at my first meeting in Crystal Lake Mm -hmm. which is the first time I actually got sober and and it stuck but um, that's just being beaten down to this point where I I knew I didn't want to die anymore but I couldn't go back to the way I was living and I didn't know what to do from this point on because IOP wasn't even working and the medications weren't working and, yeah, and nothing, no, nothing was working. Nothing I could figure out was working. It's interesting. What's, what's interesting to me is that the you had been told to go to AA before, and then you were told to go. You you were like being asked to go to AA when you were in IOP, mm-hmm. when drinking was still a little oops thing. Mm-hmm. And then, but your choice when you didn't have anywhere else to go and didn't know what to do was an AA meeting. So I mean, in, in a way, that was all that you know. Like people wonder how that works. How do you end up getting to an AA meeting? Well, I can now, I could see the progression of events. Like if you got no, you've been to even though you've been forced, you've been to a couple. You know that there's people there that will listen, mm-hmm. and so that's where you go. <laughs> you yeah. know, so in a way, for people, for treatment people out there, it's a really good message to hear that when you tell somebody that it's a good idea that they go, they might not like hearing it, they might not it might not take right then, but when the shit hits the fan, yeah. You yeah, I mean it that's where that's what's in your head. Yeah. That's where they, you ended up. It's those peak experiences. Yeah. 
um, yeah. where that make you willing to yeah. change. And well, see, I'm thinking. I, I just I flip back to thinking like a treatment person there for a minute. I, 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 <laughs> I, I could, you know, what I mean, right. like I, I just I, I got I got that little piece, but I see for you how how you got there. And one one other little aside. Um, would you say, and I don't know if you can even answer this, but would you say it was the mental illness part or the, the, the alcoholism part that played the major role in you getting, getting? can you use recovery for both things? Can you I, I do. Okay. Um, before I got into AA, I, I blamed everything on my mental illness. I, it's, it's my depression, it's my anxiety. It's yeah. Drugs and alcohol are not a problem. They're, mm. the, they're what I use to cope with my yeah. mental illness. Yeah. Um, it's actually my, it's the one thing I'm great at. I'm, right. I'm great at self-medicating. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, so I would constantly use my mental illness as a, uh, as a scapegoat for my behavior or whatever. And um, finally accepting that there is a problem also with the substance abuse. Okay, um, so was that kind of the last second. raw. That was yeah. that was a far second because that was the last thing I was willing to trade in. Yeah, because it, it was for years my my coping mechanism. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, I want to and I I want to come back to um, the term self medicating. I want but first I want to let's go to you and talk about what your yeah. process. Um, I could since. Um, since problems became apparent, I could either accept that I was an alcoholic or accept that I was mentally ill, but never at the same time. <laughs> um, so what One made me other. willing? What made me willing on the mental illness front was actually an event, and I'm going to withhold details because I don't want to upset any of the families. Yeah. Um, but I was at work and I looked in the newspaper one day. And I found that um, a friend of mine that I had went to high school with, I went to high school, had a summer job with, we both suffered from depression, we both went to the same treatments, um, and we were treatment buddies. I found um, that he had walked into a school, um, shot his girlfriend, shot five others, and then shot himself. Mm. And uh, up until that point, I was... I was I was very good at blame, blaming my mental illness for all my problems. Yeah. But I wasn't willing to do anything about it. I was resistant to treatment. I wouldn't stay on medication uh, long enough for it to have any effect. Um, I I resented all the doctors and how they in 15 minutes they th- thought they would know what was wrong with me. Um, but that hit home so hard that we had the same problems. We were very similar people. And all that, the only difference was the choice he made. And I knew myself well enough that when I got sick, I could do that too. Mm-hmm. And it scared me. It scared me into willingness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think whether it's mental illness or recovery is problem, they both require lifestyle changes to really be effective, right. to really start winning. And in your case, like you just explained, as it turns out, the same changes. Yeah. Yeah, and anyway. I didn't know it at the time, but that's, right. it, it was the same changes were required. Right. Now, so I started on my treatment with my medications, regular doctor visits, and, I, and, and also on the cognitive aspect. Um, I started learning meditation um, to help learn about my thoughts and feelings. I started doing all this stuff, to, um, but I wasn't treating the alcoholic problem because... Um, 
So gradually over the next few years, even though one front, Which I was... translates to you were still drinking. I was still drinking. <laughs> yes. Um, and it, my drinking, because drinking um, alcoholism is a progressive disease, it got worse and worse. Yeah. And finally, um, I ended up in the hospital as a result. I, I got to a point where I was drinking about a handle a day. Yeah. Um, and I had stopped eating and... Um, for those who don't know what a handle is, it, it's like about a half gallon of booze. Yeah, about yeah. a half gallon of booze, and um, and uh, and and anyways, because I wasn't eating, I got put in the hospital for malnourishment. I started having seizures, and at the time they thought it were strokes, but it turned out they weren't. Um, so that's what brought me into recovery. It was detox. It was detox. Yeah, <laughs> it was one weekend of going through detox, and I. I was so willing to, I, I, and it's the exact same thing. I got to a point where I couldn't live the way I was living, um, but I didn't know how else to do it. Right. And I had had a experience from the past. Um, so right out of the hospital, I went straight to my first meeting. Um, so one, and then again, once I started working the 12 steps, um, that started for me to make progress on both fronts, the yes, mental illness kind of and the recovery. started to mm -hmm. come together yep. in terms of it doesn't matter what you call it, you just do you do these things, you'll end up better. Yeah. 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 Let me let me jump back to the, the use of the term self-medicating because, and the reason I want to talk about this is it's, like, it's another one of those things like bipolar. It gets thrown out there pretty, pretty easily you using you know used to describe somebody who drinks too much sometimes who drinks too much who may may legitimately be medicating a mental illness but it doesn't matter i mean if you're drinking too much it doesn't matter at least that's the way i look at it mm -hmm. so somehow self medicating makes it sound okay yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, <laughs> like i just go to the pharmacy and pick up you know pick up a little yeah. tylenol so and uh, yeah. i'm i'm self medicating yeah. because i have the flu uh, yeah so. so i mean that's just me i don't know how you guys feel about i thought i made a lot of progress when i decided i'm only going to abuse prescribed drugs <laughs> <laughs> instead of illicit illegal drugs right. sure you got a, you got a doctor's yeah. permission basically yeah. like hey look it's only a it's a recommended dose. And everybody hey, yeah. knows. Yeah, it's a recommended. <laughs> recommended dose. Well, you, were you were you thinking you were self medicating when you were drinking a handle a day? Um, I I did. I drank a handle a day. Absolutely convinced it got me through work. You know, it, it got me through. Um, and here's the thing. What did um, it treat? I, anxiety. It treated my anxiety. It treated um, my tendency. Uh, it treated my anxiety, treated me my depression, it treated my chronic feelings of less than. Yeah. You know, I'm less than everybody else. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm never gonna because I always you know It have, made you right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It made me right. And um and heroin addicts use that phrase and I, frequently. And, and I gotta get right. Yeah, and here's the messed up thing. I absolutely believed that drinking the way I was drinking was the right thing to do right up until that hospital experience. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I had maybe a couple moments where I'm like, oh, maybe I'm overdoing it a bit, but I absolutely saw nothing wrong with with how I was treating myself. Is it the same for you? Yeah, I, I was convinced 
up until I probably sometime in IOP that I was uh, I did not have a problem drinking or using drugs too much. Yeah, like I it thought, was the solution. It, it, it was for solution. for a decade. It was how I coped with my life and how how things how I got things to make sense for me. So is self medicating ever okay? <laughs> Uh, I mean, or is that the main? Yeah, I mean, I, can, it, can it ever be? I think used? it's kind of a slippery term. Yeah, yeah. can yeah. it ever be used in a way that just is justifiable, or is it always going to be self-medicated? I mean, I, you're, you guys were self-medicating, and it didn't. Turn no, out that no. And, no, and the fact is, like, or maybe uh, did well, like, I, like I can't <laughs> recreationally drink or use drugs like some people seem to be able to. Right. You know. But they might, they probably wouldn't use, well, they might <laughs> use the word self-medicate. I don't, I don't know if they would. And maybe it would mean something different to them. Mm, yeah. Taking yeah. Tylenol and... Yeah, sure. But I, I, I don't think there is. I don't think, um, I think the minute you put the self on medicating, um, you get a bad result. I can't, yeah. yeah. Self for me, I can't do anything by myself. <laughs> yeah, that would, I can't do that so thing. And so. least of which is probably Medicaid. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just I, and I, we just kind of got off on that a little bit. So the, the next thing is, let let you know. So that's how you got started in recovery. Let's talk a little bit about what recovery has been like for you. What, what kinds of things have you had to deal with? What have you learned? How has the mental illness and and the alcoholism sort of in both your cases kind of blended together in recovery? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, um, you know, I did, especially early on, my first six months uh, in AA of being sober, I was I was pretty radically up and down. Mm. You know, I was getting extremely angry. I would I would leave meetings halfway through and kick the side of the building and scream and mm. yell at people in meetings. And I would, I still had a I, at five months sober, I was still cutting myself up sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, because <clears throat> I. There was there was something about there's something in AA about you know having to believe in a higher power you mm-hmm. know and put your faith in that and and I was having a real hard time accepting that because I I thought I was smarter than that I was better than that I'll figure out a way psychologically around having to believe in something or have faith in something and it wasn't working for me mm-hmm. um, but uh, once I accepted that that's kind of like when things really started to fall into place for me you know. It, mm-hmm. Um, that's that's what I use now to feel okay in the morning. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I had to do today to to be okay to to accept that I have a job to go do and I'm gonna be okay doing it and I'm not gonna be there forever and nothing horrible is gonna happen to me and because <clears throat> those I still deal with those thoughts all the time. You know that yeah. stuff is still a part of me and it's in me. That fear is there. That but it doesn't control you anymore. It, it doesn't have to. It can if I yeah. let it. Okay. There's, you know, there's work that we we need to do in AA every day, you know, to to manage, you know, they make called maintaining your spiritual condition mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And you know, if I don't do those things, it is a slippery slope. And the first things that come back are mm-hmm. the intense, you know, depression and self pity and I'm less than everyone else. I'm not good enough. Yeah. And then it'll. For me, the next progression would be the cutting part, and then I think it hasn't gotten this far for me in sobriety yet, but it'll eventually become, it's going to be fine if I go drink now. You know, that's, that's my You'll need to self-medicate. I'll need to self-medicate. <laughs> <laughs> and then he'll teach his opinion about the word. Uh-huh. Right. 
Right. No, I, I understand that. So, you know, I want to, what I want to come back to is you, you use the term, the work, the work I have to do every day in AA. So I want to come back to that and talk a little bit about more specifically what that work is. But let's um, talk about what you've had to do in your recovery and how. For me, um, how they're in my first, uh, you know, I don't know, but uh, based on my own experience, I've observed that the first year or more of sobriety, um, a lot of us do exhibit signs of mental illness. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, for me, it was definitely the first two months. Um, I wasn't really able to sleep much. And and just, look, mm -hmm. when you when you said mental illness, you put quotes, air quotes. Oh, around yeah, there were, <laughs> <laughs> there were air quotes on the air mental quotes. illness. So you got to use the phrase air quotes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah and um, if, and I at the time I was um, uh, I was using medication up to about eight months mm -hmm. in this variety. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, and I used a lot of exercises such as, you know, what you were talking about, about that I have a habit of framing everything permanent. If I'm in a temporary situation that I don't like, my brain automatically puts a permanence on there. It'll always be this way. Yes. Yeah. Um, like, for example, when I start to feel despairing or I start to fall into a depression, it's always going to be like that. I'm more air quotes. Sorry. <laughs> um, Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I, and these are the types of things that some of that daily work that Chris was talking about it helps me um, to fight to keep to keep that the cognitive the distortion. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. That. And you've had to learn, I assume, what those you know. How, have you, how did you learn that? Um, lots of impatience. <laughs> um, I, I learned a lot of the medical jar. Um, a lot of that was from impatience. Usually I have what I call peak experiences. Mm. When, whether it's mania um, or depression, um, they're both, and the extreme ends of it, they're both highly destructive, mm -hmm. which then a loved one or family would step in and say, you have to go to the hospital. You're a danger to yourself or others. And um, so a lot of that, part of that, most treatments these days, there's the medical side with the, with the medications, but that's not all you have to do. Really, if you expect to have any hope of functioning like other people function, you also have to learn the lifestyle changes. And that's where the cognitive distortions and all that medical jargon comes in. Yeah. And reframing thoughts. Um, now, what AA did was give me a platform to do all that stuff without having it separate. Yeah. Because just by working the 12 steps... Um, you are reframing your thoughts. Yeah. Right. Yes. And you working the principles in, you are reframing your thoughts. Your, your and you are starting to, you know, yeah. be able to know that things are going to be temporary and therefore make it through that shift at work without freaking yourself out. And you're using and your spiritual program to remind yeah. you that, you know, things will work out, yeah. you'll be okay, but, right? that kind of stuff. But yeah, it, but I will, I will say, and it's hard, um, I, I did feel a lot of um, sadness um, that I had to contend, that, that this problem didn't go away for me. 
Yeah. Um, there was, we were talking about the higher power issue. I went through a phase where um, um, I had to accept that my higher power, for whatever reason, you know, gave me this, this challenge. Right. And I had to accept that. And there was phases where I would use it as an excuse for bad behavior. Mm-hmm. I went through all these different phases and all these different areas of growth in the last three years mm-hmm. um, to really nail down a unified program of recovery. Okay. Yeah, that's well said. Can, can you both talk a little bit about what the daily work is for you mm-hmm. today? Um, well, I need to, every day I, I need to, and I'm not saying I do this every day, sometimes there are days I don't, but yeah. what I need to do is I need to um, be as useful to other alcoholics in particular, but other people in general, as be as useful to them as I can. Um, I need to... Uh, Why is that? Just to think less about you? Yeah. Um, Stay <laughs> out of the bad neighborhood, so to speak. If I, if I sit in isolate and I'm not trying to help someone with their problems, I'm over I'm becoming overwhelmed by my own and right. I'm digging deeper into my own head and finding things wrong. Right. You know, to focus on and I need to get out of myself and the way I do that, the way I have to do that is by trying to help other people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um I need to I need to maintain they call it conscious contact mm-hmm. with your higher power. Mm-hmm. You know, I need to be I need to be grateful for the positive things instead of being angry at the things that I think I'm missing or should have or, you know, and that's that what be, I need to focus on. That would be the reframe. Right. In other words, you know, it, you could look at things and say, this really sucks, or you can look at it and say, like you said, I'm anxious about the job and I'm scared and I really, you know, blah, blah, blah. We can say, I have a job. Yeah. I don't yeah. Have, I'm I mean, going to have, you know, money and I'm, I'm going to be able to pay my bills. I'm going to be able to eat. And you're going to be able to be useful to I, people. I get, I, yeah. I'm fortunate to have a job where I get to be useful to people. Yeah. I, I get paid to be useful to yeah. people that need help. You know, I'm fortunate that way. And So that's a, re, that's a reframe, mm-hmm. essentially, for those people out there who might not understand what reframing means. That's pretty good definition, operational definition of the way you, you're thinking one way and you look at it a different way. And it got a different frame, yeah. The gratitude frame, rather than the poor me frame, right? Yeah. And without AA, that's that's what I'm in. Is poor me. I'm like sucks, and I'm a piece of shit, and I'm, I can't do anything, <laughs> and no one likes me, and I'm I'm worthless, and blah blah blah, and it just and that'll compounds. just cascade, and yeah, okay, it goes out of control. Okay. Yeah. So those are a couple things you do. And, and should we? You want to shift? Yeah. You know, my I'm pretty much the work I have to do is identical to his. Okay. So it's really there's no reason to say it twice. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Same same deal. So, um, well, first of all, I think you guys have done a really good job of helping people to understand how these these pieces that we're talking about that we call mental illness and we call addiction or groups of symptoms really kind of come come together when you start talking about recovery. And it's and what's really cool about doing this is that you're you know, we're we're not just talking about you but we're helping a lot of people by you know, by that understanding. Because it's a difficult thing. It's a difficult thing for people to see how those things even yeah. among the recovery community, even in the mental, recovery community. mental health is is in the, in the professional community. Yeah, you know, like I was telling you at, at break, there's a lot. There's been a lot of discord about that. 
There's mental health people and there's addiction people, and they don't intermix. They don't mix very well, and that doesn't help people who have to find a way. So the more we do this, I think that, that the better off we are. I'd like to close maybe by by asking a final question, which we also had talked about, and that is if you have a person, or you know a person, or you're speaking to a person out there who has mental illness issues and addictions issues, and they're struggling with that, what would you, what would you tell them? What would you say to them? Um, if, if they're ready, you know, if, if they want to change and they don't know how, that, that's what my experience was. I wanted to change and I didn't know what to do about it. Um, try a meeting and take suggestions from other people that have an experience because, I mean, you'll, you'll probably, like me, you'll probably find that once you go to a meeting, you're going to see that there are people a lot like you out there and you're not as unique as you think. Not alone. Um, you're not alone. Yeah. yeah. And that, that was a big help for me because I, I mean, you probably think you're alone and that no one understands your problems. Isolation but, seems to be a common characteristic for yeah. all of these maladies that we're talking about. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, I would definitely, I, you know, he hit it on the head. If you're ready, um, it took me years to be ready on either front. Mm -hmm. um, but once you're there, if if you're ready to deal with the fact that you may be suffering from mental illness and you are addicted um, to drugs or alcohol, um, you know, your first, you, you got to hit both. You you got to see a professional. Um, and be open my open to what they discuss and you also have and you also definitely have to be making a stop to a 12-step um, group um, if for nothing else uh, then you know a lot of the suggestions that that you are going to get in the professional circles are going to include some of these group activities um, and and Chris was like Chris was saying you know you're not alone um, uh, thousands, millions of us deal with this on a daily basis, uh, and and things, even if they're really bleak, they do get better. Mm -hmm. They really do. Um, Despite you know, what your brain yeah, will tell you. Right? I didn't think they'd <laughs> yeah. get better in my <laughs> teens, and and they got better <clears throat> in my twenties. Then things seemed hopeless in my twenties, and they got better in my thirties. You know, it's. Um, even if things fall down, you can build them back up. Okay. All right. Well, I, I thank you for coming. I thank you for telling your story. And uh, like I said, I think it'll be uh, helpful. Helpful yeah. to others. Hopefully. Hopefully. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. It's good. So thanks to tonight's guests, Chris and Shane. Thanks to our listeners. And... Um, you know, for listening to us and our little underground support uh, community here. We'll email reminders for next week's show. And as always, we'll try to look at recovery from a, an open perspective. Remember to check recoveryinternetradio.com. Recoveryinternetradio.com. <laughs> for all the archive shows and to sign up for our email reminder list, you can go, again, you can go to the website, sign up, and your, your name will pop up on our, our mailing list, and then we, we'll send you a reminder. So easy. It's so easy. Actually, is it? It is. Oh, okay. All right. Um, I remember we had some technical problems with that a while ago, but I guess we don't anymore. Oh, no, it's easy. Okay, it's easy. Uh, remember, we want to hear from you, 
so we know where you are. So when you you know when you get on the website, when you sign up for the email list, we can tell you know if you're from Tasmania or Uganda or mm, Timbuktu. Timbuktu. So as always, live today, love yourself and your neighbor. Together, we'll trudge the happy road to destiny. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed the show. See you at 8 p.m. next time. Good night, everybody.